0: It's called My Name Is. And uh, we've been specifically talking about the name of Jesus, but we took a minute last week to reflect on names are important because they mean something and it's going to be what we carry with us and who we are the rest of our lives. And as I was thinking about my name is this week, I saw a couple cartoons that really reminded me of some things that are important about our name. So the first one uh, got a new dog for his little boy and he's telling his son, you can name her whatever you like, but be sure it's something you can remember. You'll be using it as a security question answer for the rest of your life. And if, if you've ever set up any kind of accounts online and got your username and password, there's, there's always security questions that they ask you to make sure it's really you, if you forget your password. And one of those questions always is, what was the name of your first pet? And at our house, uh, I hate to admit this, but I am a little bit anti-pet. Um, you, you're asking, am I a dog person, am I a cat person? I am a person person. Uh, so... We, we never really had a pet, but some, one, at one point in time, somebody gave us this little ceramic dog, and, and we named it Zest. And it's the ceramic dog sat in the basement of our house next, next to the door for years and years. And so if, if you ever hack any of our accounts online and the question pops up, what was the name of your first pet? We answer Zest for all of those things because that was our dog. And even though he never moved, never barked, never cost us any money, never went on the carpet, uh, it was the best kind of pet you could imagine. Uh, So names are important though because you're going to be stuck with it and you're going to have to remember it the rest of your life. And then uh, how many of you have ever sweated a little bit over what to name a baby? If if you've had a child and you've you've probably had this conversation of what do I need to name my child? And Pam and I went through this and I thought, man, there's no pressure at all compared to this. Uh, It's Two aunts talking to each other and it says the ultrasound went well, now we just need to agree on 1,263 baby names. <laughs> We had a hard time with this one. We, we were sweating it and looking through books. And, and it, was, it was awesome because it was, it was really a God moment. We, we had this book on the shelf that had all these Bible character names. And Pam and I were looking through it when Silas was about to be born. And we're making the, the obvious jokes. Like, oh, we could name him Jehoshaphat or Zerubbabel. And you know, we're looking through this book. And we flipped the page and there it said Silas, Paul's friend that went on missionary journeys and, and was with him. And it just... In that moment, there was something holy in that moment. It just stuck with us, like Silas. That would be a great name. And uh, we've enjoyed it. It completed us for, for years and years. Uh, we, we would use, as all of our accounts and usernames, we would use the word Chaps. C-H-A-P-S. And we always said it was Chris, Heather, Ashley, and Pam. And this was before Silas. So the S was just, oh, it's Chaps, this account. And when Silas was born after the fact, we realized, oh, he completed us. He was the S on our chaps. So names really are important, and they mean something. And and we've been talking about Jesus because his name is the greatest name there ever was. We looked at the verse in Philippians last week that says, He has been given the greatest of all names. And uh, the name of Jesus literally means God is our salvation. But it's more than just something to call Him. When you talk about the name of Jesus, it actually implies the weight, the authority, and the standing of who He is. When we say we are praying in the name of Jesus, it's not just because we're being good Christians and doing the rote thing of tacking in the name of Jesus on at the end of our prayers. Come on, I think there's too many times in, in life I see people, they, they treat in Jesus' name like a magic formula. Oh, that makes everything I said before this an authentic prayer because I said in the name of Jesus at the end. And it's not really about just saying the name, it's realizing I've been given the authority and the standing of who he is. And when we pray, when you speak, there's authority on your words. Whether you tack in the name of Jesus on at the end or not, if you know who you are in Christ, there are power on those words. And it makes, when we say in the name of Jesus, mean something, and it carries weight. So we talked last week uh, that he's actually given us his name to use. Jesus told the disciples, anytime from now on, when you ask the Father, you're asking him directly in my name. I'm not going to have to get up off the chair and whisper to dad, it's okay, you can give it. You're going to ask him directly as if it were me, myself asking. And we looked at the verse in Romans 8 that says, we are joint heirs with Christ. We are joint heirs with the firstborn, Jesus Christ, in anything God would do for his son, Jesus he would do for you and I, because he's made us joint heirs. And we should expect to see everything represented by the name of Jesus happening in our lives. When we begin to focus on the different aspects of who he is, we should expect to see that manifest in our lives. And for the rest of this series, we're going to look at some of the other names of Jesus and what they mean and what should be happening in our lives. And when I say the other names of Jesus, I don't mean... It's not like he had eight middle names. You know, Jesus, John, Paul, Joseph, Mary, Jesus. It wasn't that. These are other titles that Jesus went by. Uh, when, When we talk about ourselves even, my name is Chris. I have other titles. I am a husband, I'm a father, I'm a son, I'm, the, I'm a pastor. All those things mean something. They're a different aspect of who I am beyond just my name, Chris. And it's kind of the same way with Jesus. As we read through scriptures, Jesus was his name, but there were other titles that he went by that showed us who he was and what he came to do in our lives. So all of those things mean something that he gave us access to. And the first one I want to start with today is uh, I, I started here with this one because of the misconception sometimes that it's his last name. The title for Jesus is Christ. That that is a name he was given. It's not his last name. You didn't go to the C's in the phone book. Gosh, who remembers phone books? That's, that's pretty bad when you're dating yourself because you remember a phone book, and it was more than just something to sit on at the dinner table. You actually could find out who you wanted to call in those things. Uh, it was more than just going to the seas in the phone book to look up Jesus. That wasn't his last name of his family. In fact, in Jewish culture, if Jesus actually had a last name he went by, it probably would have been Bar-Joseph. Because that was how they referred to their children. Bar means son of, and Joseph was his dad in the natural. Or you could say that he was Jesus Bar Abba, because he was the son of the Father. And in fact, man, that's too, many, too much to get into now, but that, that was the choice on, on the day when Pilate came out to the people and said, Who should I release? Here is Barabbas or Bar Abba. It was the same name virtually, and it was the choice of, Are you going to do this in the flesh? Or are you going to embrace the Christ and the living one and the spirit? So anyway, that's what his name would have been if that was his last name. But uh, I almost feel like sometimes in the Bible it's like those, the one-name people. It's like Cher. She doesn't have a last name. Or, or Bono, leading, leading you to. Like sometimes in the Bible it just says Christ. And that's a title. You know it's talking about Jesus and everything that's enveloped in that. And uh, the, the name Christ was the title for the Messiah. But it's important to us because Christ literally means the anointed one and his anointing. The anointed one and his anointing. And when we're talking about being so bonded with Jesus and being in Christ, that's part of our access that we have. The anointed one and his anointing. The implication of, of the Messiah, of the Christ, of the anointing, was to actually take something and consecrate it to God. To set it apart by smearing oil all over it. Today, in in our church, sometimes if we're setting somebody in, we just lay hands on and pray for them. But in Bible times, what they would actually do is they would come with a whole flask of oil or a horn of oil, and if they were going to set somebody apart for service to God or to be the king, they would dump that oil on their head and let it run all over them and smear it on them. And that was a sign saying, you've been set apart for something. And we know that the oil is a picture of the Holy Spirit. And when you are born again, when you get saved, he fills you, he sets you apart, he consecrates you by filling you with his spirit, pouring it out upon you, smearing you with it. You're never the same again. You've been ruined for natural life. You've been ruined for going back to sinful ways because Jesus has set you apart. He's consecrated you and smeared his anointing all over you. We carry something permanent that he's placed in us. And Jesus was definitely anointed. How many of you know that for sure? In in scripture, John the Baptist was talking about Jesus, and he said, The one whom God has sent to represent him will speak the words of God, for God has poured out upon him the fullness of the Holy Spirit without limitation. Jesus had access to unlimited quantities. The, The implication of that verse is that there are no measurements when it comes to the Holy Spirit. It's it's an all or none proposition. He pours it out upon you with no measure. Uh, If you study some scholars, they argue about that verse saying, was it actually referring to God pouring the Spirit upon Jesus without measure, or Jesus actually conferring it to his people without measure? And that's part of being the joint heir with Christ. We get all of what he got. So when he is called the Christ... The anointed one and the anointing he carries, that's part of what we get in our lives and what we should expect to receive. Um, Here's another verse for you. Jesus was very aware of what it meant to be the Christ and what it empowered him to do, what he had been sent to do, his mission. In Luke chapter 4, when he got up in the temple to read uh, to the people, he opened the scroll to the book of Isaiah, and this is what he read. The Spirit of the Lord is on me. Because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind. To release the oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, last week and today, we made it very clear that if we believe we are in Christ, and in this verse, in this passage, Jesus just gave the job description of what it means to be in Christ what the expectation is for us to do. As believers, we have a special mission to people who feel worthless. Look at that, to, to proclaim freedom to the poor. Good news, we've come to announce something to you. You felt worthless in your life. Here is something that's worth hearing. What we have to say gives people value and worth in their lives. There's several times in scripture where it it equates the the phrase being poor with not knowing who God was. And we carry something that we get to come give good news to the poor to say there's no need to be worthless anymore in your life. There is someone who has put more value on you than you could ever possibly imagine. We've we've been called to people who feel worthless. We've been called to people who are bound. How many of you know somebody that's bound? You you just look at their lives and you're, you're like, man, I don't see any physical chains, but you are bound up. And we carry something that can release them. That's what Jesus said the anointing was for. When he knew, I have been anointed, part of what I've come to do and part of our job description by being in Christ is to set those people who are bound free, to carry freedom to them. We've been called also to people who are blind. There's people that just can't see the scripture talks about the God of this world has blinded their eyes they, they don't see that they're living a life that's so much less than who God created them to be and the message we carry gives them sight that's right. there is something you were made to do if nothing else you were born to be loved come on there, I, I may not know the answer of what your gifts or your calling or what your profession should be but I know you were born to be loved that he made us for us to be loved by him and to love him and if if nothing else that that ought to give us some worth to our lives and set us free and help us to see things from a different perspective and we've also been called to release the oppressed there are some people that are going around and the devil is having a field day with them because they've not heard the message and Jesus says I've come to release those who are oppressed to proclaim to them the year of the Lord's favor is everybody familiar with what he means when he says the year of the Lord's favor? Yes, no, some people are nodding at me, some people are nodding off. Uh, when he says the year of the Lord's favor, every seven years they would have a year of jubilee. And they, they would forgive people's debts and they would restore property to them. And then every 50th year, it was like a super jubilee, seven or the 49th year I guess. They, they would actually have a time in Jewish culture where they could return to... F- Property that their family maybe had sold or given away years ago, and they would be restored to their place in the land. Their debts would be forgiven. And Jesus says, We've come. To proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. There are some people that need to hear, your debts have been forgiven. No matter what you think is on your ledger, who you've hurt, or what you've done to yourself, there is freedom for you. There is a place for you to be restored to. You were created in the image of God. And when Jesus says, I've come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, he's restoring people to the place in the land that they were meant to be living. Let that... I just. Can we think about that for a second? There is a message that we carry that does something in people's lives that awakens to them, oh, I was made for more than what I've been doing with my life. I was made to be in a place of knowing Him and being known by Him. And we carry that message, the year of the Lord's favor. This is what the year of the Lord's favor does and, and knowing that we have access to the name of Christ. When, when you hear that message and you begin to believe, this is the transaction that takes place in our lives. In 2 Corinthians five seventeen, it says, This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life has gone and a new life has begun. Can we actually read that verse together this morning? Can we read that out loud? Let's read it. This means that anyone who belongs to Christ has become a new person. The old life is gone, a new life has begun. That's some really good news right there, because too many times we give people the impression that Christianity is some kind of self-improvement program. I'm just going to work on everything that was the matter. You know, If I could just get my act together, and oh, I go there on Sundays, and it's going to help me be a better person. That's not what Christianity is. Christianity is a transaction where your old life completely disappears and there is a new you that comes on the scene. Jesus referred to it with Nicodemus as being born again. There is a new life that comes to us, a new creation that never existed before. Right. And God doesn't deal with the old you. Right. <laughs> Some of us act that way. Like, oh, I'm just trying to work harder and do this better and I'll I'll try not to do that same thing. And when God begins to speak to us and interact with us, he doesn't talk to the old you, he talks to the new you. Because the old you is gone. That would be a little weird if God talked to something that was gone. (laughs) Well, take it out of God's realm for a minute. That would be a little weird if we talked to somebody that was gone. If, if you've been to a funeral recently and there's somebody laid out in the casket up front, or any time you've gone, it doesn't have to be recent, but at the last funeral you attended, in your memory, did, any, did you go up and begin to have a conversation with the person laying in the casket? Or you don't want to admit to it? Hopefully not. Why don't we do that? Because that person is gone. They don't hear you. They're unable to respond. They are dead. And God talks to the new us because the old us is dead as if somebody were laying in the casket there. He's not, he's not interested in just fixing up the old us. He's into helping the new you be the you that he made you to be. Can we say that one more time? He's, he's not interested in fixing up the old you. He's interested in helping the new you be the you that you were created to be. This is, this is one of the best verses in the Bible. I say that almost every week when we read something. But it really is. Because it's something that was a truth for every single one of us that believed in Jesus. We became a new person in that moment. It was a miraculous thing that happened. That, the old person is gone, literally, that, that phrase in the Bible literally means that passed away and disappeared. And when God comes and interacts with us, he begins, instead of, instead of coming to somebody that doesn't know Jesus and saying, Oh, you're, you're lost, I'm, I love you, I'm wooing you, he begins to put his arm around the new us and say, Hey, this is how we act now. We don't do those things anymore because I've given you new life. This is what it's for. This is what it's worth. And he begins to cause us to be that person that he sees when he looks at us. Because we are new creations. Hmm. We need to renew our minds to think that same way about ourselves. Too many times, because who I saw in the mirror each morning didn't change. The outside of me didn't look any different. The natural me, in fact, the natural me got less hair over the years. And I'm thinking, I wish I looked new on the outside, So sometimes it takes a step of faith to believe the word. And to say, I'm not going to continue to see myself as that old man, that old image in the mirror. I'm going to begin to see myself the way God sees me. I'm going to begin to meditate on what does it mean? We always talk about know who you are in Christ. Why do we do that? Because that's one of Jesus' names and it actually does something in our lives. It accomplishes something powerful when we understand I'm in Christ. I'm a new creation. I have access to something I never had before. Everybody say, I am anointed. I am anointed. If you believe in Jesus, you are in Christ. And that is one of his names. And it means you have the anointing. You can go out and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. You can tell people there's an opportunity to leave an old life behind and become fresh and new. That is so appealing to say, I need a new start. Has anybody ever been there in life? You just get to the end of the rope, and you're hopeless, and you're thinking, oh, where's the reset button? That'd be awesome if life came with an actual reset button where you could just say, hey, just, just like a video game, I'm going to let that guy die, put another quarter in, or hit reset. There, there's so many times, yeah, I just dated myself by saying put a quarter in a video game. You know, where's the slot for the quarter on the Xbox? Like, ah, oh, old. It's like that, though. We push the reset button, we get new lives, and we start the game again. It would be awesome if life had a reset button. It doesn't have a natural reset button, but there is a spiritual reset that we all get, that we get to be a new creation and say, God, everything that was old has passed, and I am fresh and new. Thank you, Lord, for your anointing, that you are the Christ, the anointed one, and what you carry, you've poured out upon us. The the other name I wanted to hit on this morning, uh, we're thinking about my name is, and Jesus's name was the Christ. Uh, There's another name that I think is was very important to me. uh, Besides needing a reset button, have you ever felt like there were times where you're just stumbling through life that you didn't know the next direction to take, you didn't know the next choice to make? And uh, it stirred a memory in this week. I, I had a traumatic childhood memory, which is very few and far between because I had a great childhood. I had two parents that loved me, loved me, my mom and dad, were awesome. But one time we, we went on this trip to Kentucky and there was a fun house. Fun, in quotes. and It, it was basically you gave them money and then possibly you were never seen again. Like, that was, And I, I remember going into this fun house with my mom and dad and we were in there forever, it seemed like. It, I don't know, for me as a kid it seemed like forever and I think for them it may have too because mom's like, it was traumatic for her also. And I just remember there's dark places and there's, you had to find these passages. And we walk into this one room and there were probably about 25 or 30 doors in this room. All different shapes and sizes. Some doors that I don't think I would be able to fit through now, being the man that I am today. Uh, but there were all these doors in the room and we didn't know which way to go. And as I was remembering that, that traumatic child, in fact, Mom told me she saw an article several years after we had gone there on vacation that the place burned down. Did somebody die? Like, got trapped in there and died? Like, it was, it was not a fun... Like, it was a scary house. Like, this was awful. Um, but you couldn't get out. You didn't know which way to go. And I, I almost picture sometimes in life, it's like we walk into this place and there's 30 doors. And I don't know which one to open to go through. I don't know which one to walk through. And that's why this name of Jesus that I want to talk about is so important to us because Jesus tells us that he is the way. And when we know the way, it doesn't matter which door we walk through. He'll show us the right one if he needs to show it to us. But the, the comfort in knowing that he is the way is that he is with us the whole way. And in, this, in the John chapter 14, this is where that name of Jesus came from. It's, it's hard to know the way if you don't know the way. Can we say it that way? Yeah, that's like a tongue twister to say. It's hard to know the way if you don't know the way. And that's what Jesus says in John fourteen six. Jesus answered to them and said, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. At one time in our lives, we were all lost because we didn't know the way. And he came and revealed himself to us and and told us that he was the way. Uh, I think that's one of those phrases when I see Jesus says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. He really did tick off the Jewish people. Because there are some scholars that say they actually called the the three parts of the temple the way, the truth, and the life. And that was how they brought their sacrifices and how they worshipped in Old Testament culture. And when Jesus came on the scene and said, hey... I am the way, the truth, and the life. And that's the the real way to get to the Father. You know, he told people, hey, tear this temple down. In three days, I'm going to rebuild it. And Scripture says, oh, he was talking about his body. And later on, Paul picks up on that and says, you are a temple of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, he... He really, I don't think we realize how much he upset the religious leaders of the day when we just read the text sometimes. But he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And the way, literally in that verse, it means a path or a journey that we're on. And uh, I think it's it's also not a coincidence. The first time in the Bible that it talks about a way going somewhere is when it says a cherubim came to guard the way to the tree of life. And and Jesus shows up thousands of years later saying, I am the way. So he's pretty cool. <laughs> he's a path that causes us to walk differently than the rest of the world. That's when you get on this way, people recognize it. Or they should. If, if, we, if we're living well, they should recognize there is something different about you. There's something unique. In fact, the early church was so impacted by this name of Jesus saying that I am the way that people began to call them that. And if you read in uh, Acts chapter 9, you remember Saul, before he had his name changed to Paul, he was pretty ticked off at the church. And he was going to persecute as many people as he could. And it says in Acts 9 verse 1, it says, Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. And he went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus so that if he found any there who belonged to the way. Whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. They were so impacted by Jesus saying, I am the way, that people began to say, oh, you're followers of the way, aren't you? It was almost a derogatory term that the religious people would use, like, oh, you're, you're members of the way, like it was a cult or a sect or something. And, and Jesus so changed their lives by what he taught and how he lived and the Holy Spirit that had come upon them, that they were now on the way. They had, they had 100% bought in. And I was reading that verse, and I was thinking, Paul got those letters, I'm going to arrest them. How did Paul know who to look for? Like, I don't think, you know, it's not like modern times. They weren't at the local Christian bookstore buying shirts that said, Ask me the way. You know, like, what would Jesus do? Ask me the way. Like, that, that wasn't how he was identifying them. I don't think they had big W's on their bumper sticker or on their camel, I guess, whatever it would be. How did Paul know who to look for? I think they probably loved and forgave people. They probably had stopped doing religious duties and gotten off the treadmill. They probably had been talking a lot about what Jesus, how he lived, and how he told them that they should be living with other people. There was something about the way that they lived that made them identifiable to everybody else, so that when Paul showed up in town, he could tell he could say, "Tell me." Who's following the way? And they could say, oh, S- Steve and Eddie, like, they're de- oh, they're definitely part of the way because of how they lived and the change that had happened in their lives. And I think there ought to be something in our lives right. that causes people to know that we found the way, right. that we're walking differently than everyone around us. And I don't think it's not an accident that Saul was on his way to Damascus There is a difference that happens. Sometimes we go through life and we are on our own path. And we're making the decisions and we're going forward. And we're on our way. And and Paul was on his way to Damascus. And Jesus changed it to his way. Knocked him off his horse. Blinded him. Revealed that he was Jesus. That he was the Christ. And uh, when Paul's having that encounter, he got knocked off his horse. Then he became a follower of the way. And he had a name change because of his encounter with the greatest name when Jesus said I am Jesus the one that you're persecuting and Paul left that moment never the same some somewhere in that conversion he he left Saul behind and he went to being Paul and he went to being one of the the greatest followers of the way because he had had that encounter with Jesus and it changed who he was i, I don't don't quote me on the exact thing but the, the name Saul meant, I'm kind of a big deal. And the name Paul meant, I'm not such a big deal after all. Like that was basically the, the, the transaction that took place in his life. He realized, I don't have it all together. I need to change who I'm following. The, I think this, uh, when we're talking about the way, we, we get stuck into thinking that the way should help us make a decision. Or tell us a choice we have to make. And I think sometimes we get stuck because we think it's going to be specific directions or how to solve a problem. And I think the way, when we're talking about Jesus, the way is more concerned with who we are than what we do. When when we are truly followers of the way, he's going to be with us no matter what. He promised not to leave us or forsake us. And what he's actually most interested in is who are you being? in the middle of that moment, in in the room with 30 doors, who are you being? Are you panicking? Are you worried? Are you fretting about it? Are you trying to make your own plan? Or are you saying, Jesus, I know you're with me. And if if there's a certain door I need to walk through, you're going to highlight it to me. But if it's okay to just walk through any door, I'm not going to be afraid because you're with me. And I know you're changing me and you are going to be the way even as I'm navigating all these decisions of life. Sometimes that's hard because we talk to Jesus and we're like, Jesus, just tell me the next step. Anybody ever have that conversation with Jesus? I don't understand why. Why isn't this happening? I need to make a decision. When's the timing? And we get all worked up about it. And sometimes we need to step back and realize he's most interested in what's the transaction happening in our heart at that moment than the specific decision that we're being confronted with. And I, and I believe that he will speak to us. If there's something we need to know in that moment, he'll give us that feedback and say, hey, this is the right decision. You'll have peace about it. It'll be highlighted. Something you'll know. But most important is, are we acting and looking like Jesus in the middle of that? Are we trusting? Are we having peace? Are we getting the worry out of our lives? That's what he's after. And that's what it means to be on the way. So I don't don't think it's an accident that Paul was on that road, got knocked off his horse, became a follower of the way, had his name changed, and then he wrote this. 1 Corinthians 12.31, Now I will show you the most excellent way. And what does he go on after that to talk about? He talks a whole chapter in 1 Corinthians about love. That love is patient, it's kind, it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. That's, Paul knew the most excellent way because he had in, had an encounter with the way himself. And it changed. He went from breathing out murderous threats against God's people to saying, man, I can't talk enough about love. I, I, can't, I can't love people. There, I'm so bound and compelled and constrained by the love of Jesus that it just comes out of me in everything that I do. And that was the encounter Paul had with the way is what should happen in our lives. When we meet Jesus as the way, it changes how we see people, how we interact them, how much we love them, what we're willing to put up with, what we tolerate, the forgiveness that wells up in our heart. There's something about meeting him as the way that changes us. I think when we meet people, we need to ask which way we're on. Is this my own way or am I walking in the way that Jesus wants me to? Is, is there really love in my heart or am I upset at them? Am I angry? Is it my way or the way? And this leads us to the action item I want us to do this week is, as we leave this place. It's a very simple one, but sometimes it's hard to do, especially if we're waiting on the Lord and he shows us a particular person. For our action item this week, I want, I want us to show someone that they are loved every day. And it may be the same person every day that God puts somebody on your heart or you may wake up and he may tell you somebody different every day. And, and I, if I know, at least this is how God works in my life, often it's going to be somebody that I'm like, oh, that's hard, Lord. I don't, I don't know that I really want to do something to show them that they're loved today. Come on, can we have real conversations with Jesus or not? And that's, that's exactly why he would bring that person to my mind. Because he's like, oh, I want to see if you're on my way or your own way. So this this week, as we, as we spend time with the Lord every day, ask him, who should I show that they are loved today? That's part of proclaiming the year of the Lord's favor to people. Letting them know that they're loved and embracing them and, and letting them have a taste of the message that Jesus has given to us. So let's go ahead and stay in this place. I want to pray for us before we leave invite you to come back next week and we're going to continue to talk about a couple other names of Jesus. I, I got into this and I didn't get any further than Christ in the way because I'm not going to do it but I feel like there's enough titles and names of Jesus that we could talk the rest of the year about who he is and what he wants to do and reveal in our lives. So let's pray this morning and just ask God to remind us that we're anointed and to help us to love people. God, we thank you for this time and your presence this morning. Thank you for your goodness in our lives. <laughs> oh, God, we just ask that you would remind us that because you are the Christ, we carry your anointing. We we have a message to proclaim to people that it is the year of the Lord's favor, that you don't have to feel worthless, that you don't have to be bound anymore or oppressed. Lord, help us to carry that anointing well and to release it to those around us. Lord, I ask this week is as we look for people around us to let them know how much they are loved. Lord, stir us with those simple acts that we could do, Lord, to communicate that well to people. Lord, let us us be truly ambassadors of your love. And God, I thank you that as we do those things, it changes people's lives, it plants seeds in their lives, it changes uh, a mindset even, it takes blinders off people, that they see your love flowing through us. And they receive it from you. God, I ask that you would bless us as we go from this place. God, continue to let your goodness be seen in our lives. Continue to let your activity increase in our lives. In our day-to-day activities, Lord, we want to see more of you at work. Lord, bless us indeed as we go from here. We just say that we love you today. We honor you. We thank you for the lives that you've given us. In Jesus' name, amen.